You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, sitting next to Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. And today we have uh, one of our financial advisors, Sean Zubair, sitting in on our little session here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you, Sean. As usual, we have Simon Liu, who's our uh, program producer and uh, portfolio manager here at Empirical Wealth Management. This show is designed to share with you ideas on how to improve your wealth through smarter investing and financial planning techniques. I'm a certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis, and my co-host Ethan is also a certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial planning. That's right. Please call us uh, throughout the show if you have any uh, questions or things you want us to talk about or tackle on today's show or in future shows. We would really love to hear from you, and if we do, we will highly, it's highly likely that Ethan will send you one of his favorite investing books or financial planning books, Gratis. Totally free. Do you want to give out that contact information, Ethan? Yeah, sure. If you'd like to get a hold of us uh, on the show today, again, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at 866-472-5790, or if you prefer email, contact at empiradio.com. And I was just going to add, you know, we we do have a couple of copies of a, a signed uh, Larry Swedrow book as well. Yeah, he was on recently. So um, we, we might be inclined to give one of those out if you do give us a call today. Cool. Well, Ethan, I had a few uh, potential topics for today's show. Um, wrapping up February wound up being a very uh, good month in the market. I believe it was uh, one of the better months um, in several years, actually, for February, which traditionally has been... Um, not the best month of right. the year in terms of return. It just goes to show you that you really never know, um, as we say on the show all the time, how the market is going to behave in the short term. Sure. It, uh, it tends to surprise you. But uh, a couple of the topics um, I thought we could talk about as I was kind of, I like to scan through the money magazines and those kinds of things and see if I can keep them in check. And if there are good ideas, Ethan, share them with our listeners in some of these financial publications, uh, I thought we could talk a little bit about um, bonds and your current yields. Right. Uh, the investing money. I, I'm getting hit a lot um, with seminar, seminars or webinars um, talking about finding yield in a low-yield environment. And I thought we could just kind of maybe go over what's currently going on in the bond market and our views of how to how to survive this, this low-yield uh, period. Sounds also, good. Also, I thought we could talk a little bit about... Um, uh, uh, momentum. I, one of the questions I got uh, recently um, was about a uh, anomaly in the market called momentum. I thought we could define that a little bit and, and talk about uh, what we believe from reading the research is the best way to approach momentum, this idea of momentum in the stock market. Okay. Why don't you take your pick, Ethan? Where do you want to deep dive on this? I think we should talk about bond yields first. Okay. I, I like the multiple choice options, so yeah, you like that, don't you? Yeah, it keeps you on the edge. This is not a pre-formatted program. It's live yeah. from the Empirical Towers in Seattle. That's and, right. Um, 
I wonder if anything can are, happen. Are aware of that? That this is a, again a live program. We've been doing live programs now for I don't know three months or so. So far, they've gone off, gone off without a hitch. Yeah, every one of them, top notch, top notch. We used to do them though all the time. So on the local <laughs> channels, I, I know you love that stuff. So let's talk about yields right now. What's going on? I, I kind of went to Bloomberg and uh, checked out the uh, the current yields, and 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 uh, uh, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the difference between Treasury inf- inflation protected securities. Okay. Um, I can't get onto my this computer, but uh, looks like Simon handed me another one. I might be able to. I was going to pull some things up, um, but uh, we'll see what I can do here. I'm doing the best I can, Ethan. Um, so let's look at the the Treasury yields. For example, ten year Treasury rates right now are two point zero three percent. Oh, um, they've come up a little bit. Yeah. So um, yeah, let me see something here. Treasuries. Yeah, I don't have the uh, previous. Um, so, two point zero three seven year Treasury is at one point four five percent. Five years at point nine. Right. Um, a three year right now you can earn point four two, a little less than a half a percent, and a one year you get a whopping point one six percent. Yeah. Um, if we look at inflation protected Treasuries, which are basically Treasury uh, securities that adjust each year with inflation mm-hmm. so they have a, a, a protection factor they tend to yield less than the regular treasuries or what are referred to as nominal treasuries ethan right and right now the 10-year tip for short uh is point negative point two five. so you might be asking well how can there be a negative yield why would anyone buy a bond that actually is has a negative yield? And that's because that is the nominal yield, right? Right. Um, typically, the way these Treasury uh, inflation-protected securities get priced is based around the market's best estimation of what inflation will do relative to uh, what the um, sam- similar time uh, uh, maturity regular treasury is doing. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of simple terms here to use to describe these. So you have a 10-year treasury yielding 2.03. If you have a negative yield on the, on the, on the inflation-protected security of 0.25, then what, what we need to see to break even, or what they call the break-even inflation rate, would be 2.28 approximately. Um, if we have inflation for the next 10 years that averages 2.28%, you would be equal between those two investments. You would be at par with one another. But in reality, you'd be better off if we had inflation of 2.28%, having been in the in the in the Treasury inflation protected, because there is always that opportunity to have a higher rate of inflation. So at the end of it, if you you would expect uh in, in most investments, Ethan, there tends to be this risk and reward relationship. Mm-hmm. And so a part of that return should be theoretically you should get a lower rate of return in the inflation protected because it has an insurance policy in it. Anytime you get a, a feature that has some kind of insurance policy, you know, I was just buying a camera. 
take some snapshots of you know the family, <laughs> kids, uh, yeah. friends like you, Ethan. You know, we're right. gonna go down to the beach. We'll get some shots. <laughs> um, but you know, they always offer you if you want the additional protection in case anything happens to it. Hey, 139 bucks, give you a year's worth of that. You drop it, smash it, whatever. Same thing here. Hey, you want to have uh, a treasury bond that's guaranteed by the government and protection in the event that we have high inflation. Typically, you would expect to get a slightly lower return. If inflation exceeds that 2.28% break-even point, you will have not only gotten the insurance pr- protection, but you will have it will have paid off, and you'll have a higher return. So, say we had 4% inflation over the next 10 years. Right. Um, if you look at the federal, uh, if you just Google Federal Reserve estimate of inflation. Um, you'll find what, what the Fed is projecting uh, for inflation rates. And it's kind of interesting to monitor those two relationships. So if you're out there kind of looking at, at the tips versus the treasuries, um, an interesting factor you might want to look at is look at what the tre- treasury is projecting for inflation. If we look at the five-year maturities and we said, well, the, the regular treasury is yielding nine-tenths of a percent, and the uh, tip right now, Ethan, is yielding 227 uh, I'm sorry, negative, the tip is yielding negative 1.37, I'm sorry. That even looks weirder, right? Um, well, the break-even there on the inflation is 2.27%. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so does that does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. It's the difference between the two. Which, when I looked at the Fed, when I had my access to my system there, um, it's about what they were projecting. Right. You know, it, it, it's well within... Uh, the range there. So, you know, you might want to include the tips if you think that if you're an investor, say, particularly if your spending habits um, are, you're, you're basing your income in large part on factors that you spend money on that are highly affected by inflation. It makes a lot of sense to include those in your portfolio. Yeah. Um, and even though they're yielding negative, um, there is some value in that in that protection, right? What do you have to say? For oh, I just suggest or say that you know. Yeah, go ahead. Just regular nominal bonds. Any bonds you might pick off the street, like a corporate bond, for example. You know, if they're five year high quality corporate bonds, the yields yeah, yeah. aren't especially high there either. You know, I don't know exactly what they are right now, but let's say they're two percent on a five year corporate bond, on average. You know, after you factor in inflation, it's still a negative yield too. You know, what I mean, you're going to get if inflation is two and a half percent, and you're only earning two percent. You have a negative real yield of negative five point five percent. True that. So I think a lot of times people get maybe distracted by the oh the, the tips are yielding are have a real negative yield. Well, so do other bonds. You know, there's they're just nominally priced is all. So you just need to consider that when you're when you're looking at them. Yeah, I no, I, I can't argue with that. That's an excellent point, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, your logic is overwhelming. Um, so. We, we've got the tips. We've got that um, municipal bonds. Let's talk about that for a second. So a year ago, Ethan, the uh, the spread between treasuries and um, tax-free bonds um, a year plus ago was quite large. It's, right. come, it's gotten back closer to historical norms. Right. Um, and so, you know, so if, hang on real quick. So talk about the about the spread, the difference between the the municipal yields and and treasuries of the same duration. So that's okay. just real quick. And Simon, how much time do we have left? Less than a minute. Okay. So if you're investing, really, um, 
what you want to, what ultimately you want to do is, is generate the highest amount of what I would call net wealth. And that means wealth after paying the tax. Now, we've got to take a, a, apparently a quick break, Ethan. We'll come back and talk about spreads and, uh, and munis and, uh, when we get back and move on to our other discussion. Sounds good. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, and we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Uh, your co-host Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith, and today we have special guest uh, Sean Zuber, one of our other advisors here in the office. Just before the break, Ken, we were talking about um, interest rates and uh, specifically the difference in in yields between municipal bonds and treasury bonds. If I am correct about that, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about the spread between the two and, and what's happened here in the last year or so. That's right. Oh boy. Did you say bear? 
Oh yes, that was <laughs> oh, ferocious. Okay. Uh, no, that's zoo bear, not not bear. Um, oh, my fault. So anyway, we were talking about uh, <laughs> we were talking about uh, <laughs> municipal bonds and the spread. And what I mean by spread is just simply the difference between the yield to maturity um, of a uh, on on a particular bond. So if we're looking at um, a corporate bond versus a treasury. Traditionally, corporate bonds carry credit risk and traditionally carry a higher uh, yield to maturity. Right. Assuming that they don't default or, mm-hmm. or you know, negate on the debt payment. Um, and so, if you were looking at that relationship, usually it's based on when people talk about spreads, credit spreads anyway. Um, a lot of times they're talking about the difference between a treasury of a particular ma- maturity. So say it's ten years. Versus some other bond of that similar maturity. Right. Um, so with the municipal uh, market, you have the advantage of not paying federal tax, and in some cases not paying state or federal if the municipal security is in your state where they, and you're allowed to uh, exempt that interest. So what we have here is... Uh, the current yield, for example, if we looked at a 10-year um, uh, municipal bond, an average here, uh, about 1.9. And um, you know, I didn't get to break these down by the uh, ratings on those bonds, Ethan. Mm, I see. Um, but let's just go with this. Just follow me on this. Okay. If you were paying a 28% tax on income earned at the marginal bracket, um, then the equivalent yield on that 10-year municipal bond would be 2.649. Does that make sense? I think so. So you take your 1.907 uh, yield, and uh, and then you take 1 minus the tax bracket, mm-hmm. and um, you divide the yield, the, pre-ta- the pre-tax yield, by that, uh, by that 1 minus your tax bracket to get what the after-tax equivalent would be. Right. Or you can inverse that to, to get the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to earn 2.649 on the 10-year treasury to be indifferent between the two yields, assuming all the risk was the same. Yeah, yeah. Which it's not, so we can talk about that for a second. Um, but if we were talking about, uh, I was saying that, um, pull up my sheet here, the 10-year uh, treasury was 2.03. If you If you don't perceive a lot of additional risk, in owning the municipal uh, securities, then it's it would be advantageous for someone in a 28% or higher marginal bracket uh, to go that direction. Yeah, own the municipal over the treasury. Yeah. Huh? And because there is additional risk, this is kind of part of what I wanted to say, the, the articles that you see about investing in a low-yield environment, um, you know, the temptation, I think, is to go... Direct, go to take more uh, risk to get a higher yield, and does that make sense? Do, should you just automatically shift out of more conservative bonds into more riskier bonds um, to increase the yield? Well, maybe to a degree, it would be my answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you better understand how you're doing it. And so, one thing you would want to make sure you are doing is diversifying. So going out and finding one security that has a high yield that somebody's offered you, um, particularly a lot of the private, if you're 
local and it's a local bank, for example, that's issuing CDs or something that maybe it's not FDIC insured, um, maybe it's an excess of the FDIC insurance that you're looking at buying these securities, uh, or any institution that might yield you. It, it's not that it's would be a, an immediate no, but I would certainly do it in the context of my financial risk capacity. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking back uh, several years ago. Go uh, ahead. Thinking back to the early 2000s, um, there are a lot of folks loading up and or wanting to buy at that time higher yielding bonds than what the bubble, what the current market was really, you know, producing in terms of yield. And so they were wanting to buy buy especially um, individual issues that had a higher coupon or had a higher yield to maturity, and that led a lot of folks to buy. Guess what type of bonds back in the early 2000s? Well, auto auto bonds basically. You got GM, Ford, and Chrysler bonds out there. You know, because they were paying let's say seven percent for uh, say a five year or, or seven year bond when Treasuries are only paying say you know three or four percent. So a huge difference in yield, right? Yeah. But there's enormous difference in risk for those people who have bought GM bonds many years ago. Well, they, they didn't quite get all their money back, and that can happen anytime. So it isn't it isn't okay just simply to to buy lower quality just to chase yield. There's a risk associated with that. Is my point, and I appreciate once again all, all the cool sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> Spicing up your presentation, Ethan. That's what we do. Well, yeah. So you have to be careful. And then uh, um, same thing, right? If if you were looking at financial stocks, sure, as a way to increase yield after the technology uh, decline of the growth stocks. Um, it, you, you could have gotten stung, right? Pretty easily by doing that, and so you have to consider at all times. Actually, and I would suggest putting it as the first consideration is managing the risk. Yeah, I'd because agree I think for most people um, who don't make a profession of of investing, and what I what I mean by that, Ethan, is I don't actually have a job other than investing my money to create my income. That's my job, right? Which I don't think is a good idea, by the way, um, for most of us. Unless you are a Warren Buffett where you're buying companies and you have that capability of running them and getting right, involved. Right. But, um, but, but doing it with, with, um, publicly traded securities is probably not the greatest idea. But, um, there's a lot of swapping and things happening here. Um, so if you, if you do do that, um, most of us are investing for, we're deferring spending the, the money now that we're earning from our, our actual life endeavors of the job or the, the trade that we do, um, and hoping to stay ahead of inflation, right? Because nobody wants to defer spending the money now only to lose the value of that money to inflation later. Yeah, right. You wouldn't do it, right? You yeah. immediately buy things now. So part of the, the the reason you should be investing is to say, hey, I need to put this money aside or I'd like to put this money aside and defer it for some future goal, whatever that may be out into the future. I know if I don't do anything, inflation will erode the value of that saving and I'll have to put even more in just to keep up. I will be losing money in essence. Yeah. Um, however, I have a job, you know, and and I've got to stay focused on bringing in that income. I want to make the best use of the capital market system to stay ahead of inflation, and not only that, help me accomplish my goals um, 
to a degree and be successful because maybe if I earn a zero return or just cover inflation, I won't be able to accomplish all of my goals um, and I and I may even fall short of those goals or have to work much longer than I would like to. Sure. So the, the opportunity to invest to me is an extremely exciting endeavor because it really allows you to have your money working for you while you're out doing other things. And if you're really smart, you'll hire an advisor to help manage that and shepherd that. So while you're out earning that money, um, you're making sure that you're not missing out on opportunities. But where people can go wrong, I think, Ethan, is they kind of lose sight of that. And they start believing that it's um, constant swapping and rotation of investments in order to turn it into kind of a job. Um, and and even when when a, when the right type of advisors at the helm, there are so many things to focus on, like managing the taxes, managing the asset allocation, managing the securities that are inside, to make sure that they're operating as efficiently as possible and employing the latest science on in, and uh, research on how to better capture uh, market returns at a lower risk. Right? Mm-hmm. There's so much stuff to be doing um, that that isn't involved in constantly um, shuffling from one yield to another kind of thing. And so my caution would be understand why you have bonds in the portfolio in the first place. Understand what the time horizon is for those. And develop a strategy um, where you make changes based on your what the market is presenting you, but not on what you are predicting will happen. That's where people get off track big time as well. And so if you have a strategy that says, hey, when the market, uh, if, if, if municipal bonds in my tax bracket are yielding less than a treasury, for example, I, I'll, I prefer the treasury. Because why would I take any credit risk whatsoever to get an after-tax return that's lower than what I could get with a, with a less risky asset? I can't explain why the market might present that on occasion. You know, why that happens other than, yeah, well, we think information is shared very efficiently across the market. It's not always rationally absorbed. Does that, does that make sense? So there are these, if, if you can stick to a strategy, um, that's based on, hey, I'm not here. And, and part of that may be then that people do tend to predict or project into the future things that just recently happened. Yeah. Recency is um, a big, big thing happens constantly. Yeah, if you, I see if you, when we talk about why, uh, maybe why spreads were so wide between munis and treasuries uh, a year plus ago, part of it might be because there's maybe a lot of fear in that in that category. Yep. You know, we wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, in about thirty seconds. But if you had a, if you were as an investor said, hey, over the long term, these how this is how these relationships work, and this spreads wide. All I'm in a high enough tax bracket, I'll allocate there, um, not because I'm predicting anything. But because this is what the market is is is, op, is is producing for me, right? Um, you'd be well served. But we'll we'll pick up on this. We have to take a quick break, and then move on to some of the other topics. Sounds great. Okay, we'll be right back. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, if you'd like to participate today, feel free to give us a call here at the the office at 866-472-5790. And, of course, I, I would be happy to pass along one of my favorite books uh, on investing. That is, um, if you should uh, choose to give us a call. And, of course, uh, you can also reach us via email at contact at empiradio.com. And uh, Ken and Sean, before the break, we were just talking about um, kind of taking what the market gives you, kind of what the market presents versus predicting. And I think there, there's a point there we should probably clarify a little, a little bit. Um, Ken, would you like to extrapolate on that a little bit? Yes, Ethan, I, I believe you're, you are a, a ver- veritable cornucopia of uh, knowledge here. And um, <laughs> <clears throat> what we've talked about was um, a lot of people – believe that success in investing is predicting what will happen into the future right and and what we're saying is whether if we're in a low yield environment and you're getting bombarded with a lot of uh, 
strategies or recommendations or what we call pitches. Maybe of advisors try to capitalize on what's going on now, what they believe is the public's current fear, and make a prediction of, you know, if, if people tend to be negative, it's easy for the industry at large to say, why would we fight that? Let's come up with products or pitches that address the fact that not only do will we agree with the investor's sentiment, right? Right. But we will we will even drum up more fear, right? We'll, we'll make it even worse. Like, yeah, yeah, the sky it definitely is falling, and what you need to do is be with you know, blah 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 investment right. company because we're the one group out of all the the others that have created a strategy that suits what you believe is going to happen that the market's going to fall apart or it's going to go through the roof or that's traditionally how it's how it's done which which adds uh that third party endorsement to what somebody may already be feeling ultimately isn't hasn't been proven by a good track record of how individuals invest their money so we actually look at the results which to me that's that says it all the black and white is hard to argue with um, what those results are and professional ad- advisors better strategies in scientific studies have been shown to say, hey, you look at what the market is presenting you. You have a good understanding of why you're investing in in the first place in the particular asset class, uh, what your budget for risk is. And within that budget, and what I mean by that is, hey, if if I'm buying fixed income to be some sort of volatility management so that in the event uh, I lose my job, uh, in the event that I'm retired, and we go through a, a, a severe stock market decline, I have some stability in my portfolio that is generating at least, hopefully, over the long run, keeping pace with inflation. But but I don't have to worry about going back to work because my bond part of my portfolio went to zero, right? Right. Um, if you understand that, then there's a framework in which you can start to look at these relationships and say, hey, I know the market in terms of informationally is very efficient. Everyone has access to a, a lot of information in very rapid uh, order here. Um, it's hard for me to get an informational edge. Um, so I can look at what the market presents to me when when AAA corporate bonds, for example, are yielding uh, significantly more than treasuries in a historical context. Um, historically, when you look at the data, empirical data on that, yeah, I, I did pretty well taking some credit risk um, at times where where corporate bonds had a very um, slight premium over treasuries. It wasn't really a lot. For the credit risk I took, I didn't really get a great reward, right? As, at least not as, as much as when it was really wide. But it tends to be very counterintuitive when that happens because those spreads tend to be very wide when everyone is panicked. Yeah, when there's a crisis. Um, right? And yeah. so the municipal relationship of going to the break, that's what we were talking about. Right. When people are talking about having a municipal a crisis because of state and uh, local budgets, right, and and those defaulting, the likes of which we've never seen in in, in history. Yeah, I seem to recall uh, Meredith Whitney having that type of prediction uh, going into last year. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you get you get these opportunities. Um, people are predicting that something is going to happen. If you took the position, hey, I'm not really here to predict future, um, but I am willing to take advantage of opportunities when they're presented within a risk managed context. 
So going out and putting all your money into one bond is not what I'm talking about, right? Right. Um, but taking a portion, 10 or 20% of your fixed income, and reallocating, maybe that makes some sense, right? And realizing that, yeah, well, maybe fixed income is low, but uh, it's a period of time in history. And investing is a lifelong endeavor. It's not a one-month, a three-month, or a six-month endeavor uh, for most of us, or it shouldn't be, right? Um, at In some form or capacity, it's a lifelong, and in many cases, multi-generational endeavor. You know, the, the wealthiest people in our country and in the world, they typically look at their wealth beyond their immediate time span. Sure. And they invest accordingly. Mm-hmm. So that is the way I would view, uh, it kind of sum up this bond discussion is, yes, yields are low. Yes, there are things that you can do. You should have a system of evaluating the maturities in which you use. Am I am I going to be a short-term maturity investor, a long-term, intermediate term? Do you have some fundamental principles guiding that decision process that, again, aren't based on you predicting future interest rates or curves, yield curves, because that's very, very difficult to do? Yeah, or just taking the, hey, what's the current yield in that bond? Oh, I'll take it. Sounds good, but it sounds better than the money market. Yeah. So you should have some process of understanding that. You should have some process of understanding, hey, if I'm taking in credit risk, how much credit risk do I take? What's reasonable? Um, what do I expect? You should know what you expect to happen uh, within that portfolio. And within a framework of based on what the market is presenting you, you should take advantage of those opportunities, not make it about predicting future events that time and time again we see are unpredictable. Right. Um, so if you have any questions about how we're doing the bond parts for our clients and and designing those portfolios, certainly give us a call. You can call us here at the firm, by the way, at 1-800-923-4307 if you ever want to talk to Ethan and I uh, about your personal investments. Yep. All right, moving right along, Ethan. Any, uh, I think we're, we've flogged this bond horse long and hard enough. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, I was reading this. Uh, oh, momentum. Let's. Can we talk about momentum? I think we should. So I got a question about within our portfolios, how do the investment um, funds that we use, the investment management we use, how does it address um, this factor uh, called momentum? And so scientists or academics that study finance and capital markets over the last several years have documented where they believe uh, variances or differences in returns come from in equity markets. And what was came from an evolution of research is uh, an, uh, one of the one of the theories that came out is this idea of a three factor model, which was um, when I invest in large small companies, they're riskier, they have a higher expected return. Historically, they've generated a higher rate of return. Um, value companies or stressed companies uh, versus growth companies or more um, stable companies, they've generated a higher rate of return. And equities as an asset class versus fixed income, uh, your exposure to stocks as a whole versus conservative bonds, for example, mm-hmm. that explains uh, where you get an additional return. So that was to be kind of the three factors in the Fama French, what was called three-factor model that they d- developed based on other research that was done for years. Right. 
Well, in more recent times, um, other factors have been examined that explain potential, uh, potentially explain uh, where returns come from. And you notice none of these factors have to do with identifying the correct stock or the correct industry group at the correct time. Right. I, uh, that that's not part of it, and the reason is because in in the research you don't find adequate uh, evidence that that is a good explainer. Being it, and what I mean by explainer of that uh, is, can we identify or expect those returns in the future? So, if we are investing in a sector, can we can we identify one sector in advance and expect it to outperform the general market in the future? The answer is no. That that's not showing up in all the scientific research. Um, but size, equity exposure, um, low priced versus high priced stocks, those have shown up. Well, momentum is another um, factor, and momentum is in essence the tendency for securities to outperform um, or underperform the market that have over say a three or twelve month period already outperformed or underperformed the market. Um, so the idea being if a stock begins to go up and it's going up at a faster, say the market was up 10% over the last three months as an example, um, but a particular stock was up 20%. Um, the fact that that it's gone up, um, there's research showing, well, it, ha- it will have a tendency to continue to go up for a particular period of time. Um, and so if you're running a basic index type of a fund, um, I think we've got about a minute here, so I'll, uh, but if you're running a, a, a passive fund, which we recommend for most investors is that, hey, take advantage of these factors. You'll get, you'll get the greatest amount of, uh, of return that you can get in a risk managed way by, uh, by approaching your investing this way rather than spending time on what has been the least important factor, which is which stocks you actually pick, right. but the most risky way to invest. Uh-huh. So least amount of expected return premium, most amount of risk. Well, that's not, not too good. Not a great trade-off. Not, not good at all. Um, so momentum is this idea then that, uh, that hey, when certain stocks begin to run up or begin to go down, they continue to persist for a period of time beyond when you've identified them to be an anomaly. Um, and most index funds have kind of a, if you buy a, um, let's say a small fund cap index, small company index fund, once a company sets in that, they have a criteria. When it moves beyond that in size, the index would typically drop that company to, and buy, replace it with another company. Sometimes it's a company that was a large company that's been declining and now falls into the small company zone. Does that make sense? Uh huh. We'll explain this a little more about, we're talking about momentum. Um, we got to take a quick break. We got one more segment. We'll talk about, uh, what momentum is and how you can, uh, take a look and see if it's, you're addressing it in your personal portfolio. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L 
www.fs.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. We're here for our last segment today. Uh, we were just discussing the idea of momentum before the break, and I think we're going to elaborate a little bit more about that topic. But before we do, let me give out our contact information one more time. It's uh, 866-472-5790. That's the number here on the air. So if you have a question for us, again, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and, of course, if you prefer to email, that works as well. It's at contact at empiradio.com. So, Ken, uh, once again, back to momentum. So, in case you just tuned in here, I'll just quickly redefine what we're talking about is, do you know if in your portfolio the, the issue of momentum is being addressed? So, when you're investing, if this is a factor where we can explain returns, where we can either take advantage of it or, uh, to our disadvantage, we might be losing returns, right? We want to know what it is and if it's being addressed in our portfolio. And so, momentum, again, is the tendency of securities that have outperformed or underperformed the market over, say, a 3- or 12-month period of time to either continue to outperform or underperform the market in the future. And so it's basically the tendency of past winners to keep winning and past losers to keep losing relative to the market in general or their, their peers. And what we were saying on that was I was giving an example of how a traditional index fund might work where you have a small company index fund that's identifying uh, a subset of the stock market that's buying small comp- capitalization stocks, smaller size companies. Over time, small companies have it can grow into bigger companies, right? Big companies can decline to a point where they become smaller companies. And so those companies are moving in and out of the buy and hold universe for that index fund. Historically, index funds haven't addressed this issue of momentum because it really wasn't documented well until recent times that it exists. So what would happen is a small company begins to run up in price. Say Apple at one point in time in its history, right? It starts to run up in price. Or Microsoft, pick any company. They were all started small. Very few started as large companies. Right. Um, and they begin to run up in price. Well, the, the index says, well, this is no longer... Um, you know, maybe our criteria is for companies that have a capitalization of a half a billion or whatever or lower for small, really super small company. Um, and so we're going to have to sell that stock and buy another stock that's now fallen into our universe. Um, the stock that may be falling was a big company that's just not doing very well and began to fall in price and becomes a small company. Well, <clears throat> they would ignore or have a tendency to ignore this issue of momentum 
and therefore they're, they're, they sell a company and it continues to run up. Um, so some of the institutional funds that we're utilizing have put in what they're calling momentum screens, uh, where they say, hey, yeah, our, we want to own small companies as a group. We'll allow some companies within our portfolio as they go from small to medium size and on to bigger. We'll allow them to run if they begin to, if the price begins to go up rapidly for a period of time. Um, and the same thing if a company just happens to fall now into our buy zone because it was a larger and it came small, we won't buy it immediately. We'll allow it to have some time to run this momentum let this momentum run its course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you would want to know is, hey, if this really truly is a factor, and sometimes these really bright academic guys find these factors, they don't always know exactly immediately why they occur um, or if they will continue to persist into the future. Right. Um, but they can look at it and say, hey, if we're, all, we're building a fund, uh, what would be the best way to not get in its way or not lose returns as a result of this until it disappears? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the research that I like shows that, hey, rather than create a, a fund to try to buy stocks and capitalize on this as some kind of free ride system, um, because it creates a lot of trading if you do this. Um, right. if you were, if you were to go out and say, hey, I'm just going to create a, a, a strategy where I buy the, the stocks that are trending up and I sell the stocks that are trending down or I sell them short, um, you wind up trading quite a bit. And the amount of return that's out there isn't that extraordinary um, to cover the tax, additional tax and or transactional costs. So there's not a lot to be had if you were trying to do it as a standalone strategy. But within the context of, hey, I'm really what I'm trying to do is just get the returns of small companies, for example, or large companies. Um, or the market with a with a low price uh, tilt. The 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 efficient way and the guys over at DFA and the, their funds have done this is say, hey, we're just going to get out of its way. Um, we're not going to create any extra transactions as a result of it. We're just going to defer transactions until it's run its course. So it's just a way they can better engineer the the fund. Uh, or the investment to say, hey, we're not creating a lot of additional transaction costs, so we actually get to keep some of that pre- that premium return from this momentum. So I would recommend if it's something you're you weren't aware of, um, look up some some studies, look up some papers on this, and then take a look at your investments or call us. You know, we can talk to you about it and see if a momentum is being addressed. But I would caution you from going out and thinking, hey, this is something. Uh, this is what a lot of the technical analysis stuff. Right? They follow trend lines and, and uh, create. We see the seminars for these guys that will teach you how to trade like a pro. Trust me, if they could do that, they wouldn't need to be teaching classes about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They would just be doing it. Um, it's a lot more profitable for them to teach the class than it is for them to actually go out and do it themselves. Trust Just trust Ethan on this. <laughs> He's right. not going to steer you askew, right? Indeed. But... uh Anywho, it's that is the momentum. Do you have any questions, comments, or uh, concerns, Ethan? I don't know. I really like that idea. I mean, your traditional index fund it doesn't doesn't really account for that very well. And you know, if you're using an active fund out there, that you know maybe has something to do with that. It's uh, uh, fundamentally a flawed strategy to begin with because they're usually under diversified, which is a big risk as well. So, um, no, I, I think. I think we covered that pretty well. 
Okay. Especially me, I should say. So we have a couple minutes here. Um, I wanted to get to this article I read in, because uh, we've talked about it. We had a lot of... What's a, Okay. Did I... Yeah. Uh, this article in the, the um, Money Magazine here, and uh, I'm picking a positive one rather than focusing on the areas where maybe they've gotten some things wrong. Um, and this one's, can I purchase a, an apartment building with the money I have in my IRA? So I think that's a common question about buying real estate and other assets. So I thought I could click through this real quick. Let's do it. Okay. Oh, the, there's buzzing. Uh, the short answer is, this is by Walter Updegrave, um, provided you open a self-directed IRA with a custodian willing to deal with alternative assets, which could include not just real estate, but even non-traditional investments like gold bullion, tax liens, and racehorses. Giddy up, cowboy. However, uh, just because the government lets you stuff your IRA with almost anything, the few... No-nos include life insurance and art. Doesn't mean that you should. So no, this, this is not what I was expecting to see. Don't bet on the house. Before pinning your retirement on any out-of-the-ordinary investment, proceed with extreme caution. For starters, you could get conned. Last fall, securities regulators issued a warning about flim-flam artists pitching owners of self-directed IRAs, everything from fake commercial mortgage loans to foreign bonds that were actually part of a Ponzi scheme, Ethan. Did you say flim-flam? Flim-flam, me amigo. Wow. I think we're running That's out of time. strong language. Uh, long story short, because I think we're, we're getting close here to the buzzer, Ethan. All right. Um, there are some issues, even though legally you can do it, um, that you might want to consider. And one of those is if you buy a building and put it in your IRA, and then you need to make a capital improvement, if you don't have additional funds there, um, it's, it's con- considered an excess contribution. Um, and maybe next week we can talk about some of the other drawbacks. Okay. It's, a lot of these custodians are out there advertising because they just want to get your assets. Yeah. Um, if you know what I mean. So uh, I guess that's it for this week, Ethan. Again, if you want to talk to us throughout the week, you can email me directly at ksmith at empirical, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com or 1-800-923-4307 or ask for Ethan Broga as well or Sean Zuber. Have a great week, and uh, hopefully you found some of this useful. We'll be back next week with more juicy e-nuggets of insight. Thanks, Ken. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week 